everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the RevOps Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Jordan Henderson. I think I forgot to introduce myself last time. Whatever. Um, and I am the Senior Director of Revenue Operations at Revenue.io. I'm joined today, as is tradition, by Jonathan Stevens and Brandon Redlinger. Guys, do your thing. Hey, yes. hey what's up, everyone? Cool. That was better than usual. You guys didn't just say hi, guys. Although, Jonathan, I think you did. Um, and <laughs> this week, we are going to be talking about, we, we've talked about a lot of metrics aligning different pieces of the organization, uh, marketing to sales, sales to CS, across the entire thing, revenue operations in general, all the metrics that you could want to know about your business. We've gotten on a lot of, re- a lot of metrics in these episodes. Um, this week, I want to talk about one that I think will be actually a bit of a fun one, because I don't think it's one that's top of mind for a lot of people, but I also think it's super, super important. Sales enablement and sales enablement metrics. Um, and I think first people are going to say, well, we just lost like three guests because they were like, well, why the hell does revenue operations care about sales enablement? Lots of reasons. There's lots of reasons why we care about sales enablement. First and foremost, we have to be super closely aligned with sales enablement because a lot of what we do in revenue operations is implementing projects, implementing new ways to track data, implementing new tech. And it requires a lot of enablement on the sales team because if they're not following those processes, using that technology and doing those things appropriately, all of our work was for naught and the impacts that we would have on the business are otherwise limited. And so I think it's, I don't, I think it's one of the most important pieces of revenue operations in general. That being said, I think it's a, it's a pretty critical thing to, to sort of talk about is should sales enablement be under revenue operations or should it report to sales? Because I think that's sort of up for debate. And I think 95% of them report into to sales. So, so guys, let's, let's jump into that first. Where, where do you think sales enablement should sit? I'm going to go with the RevOps path. And I think it's just because they need to be independent. They need to be kind of for the business first and foremost. And not that they aren't supporting the sales side of the business, but more so that they're seeing the bigger picture and how their work applies to everything. And I think that's another thing that kind of happened to me in marketing operations. I was so siloed in marketing operations. I never got that visibility in the whole business and how the whole business operated. And that's invaluable. Totally. Brandon? Uh, I'm going to say sales. I'm going to say sales. Okay, all right. Let's 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 do this. Go down the rabbit hole. Explain it. It's Prove on my Donkey Kong. Okay, so, so uh, I mean, I guess a few thoughts about enablement. Um, I feel like it, sales, in the, I don't want to um, uh, pigeonhole it in just sales, right? Like, honestly, it should just be enablement or revenue enablement or GTM enablement, right? Because, uh, like, if, if I look at a lot of enablement stuff that I'm doing, plus why, why not? Put it under uh, product marketing. Like that's not even an option. <laughs> like, come on, you're just gonna leave me out entirely. Um, I've heard really bad things about product marketing managing things. So <laughs> I thought I would just eliminate that off the board. Um, but but like yeah, a, a big part of product marketing's job is enablement, right? So if if I'm looking at and specifically, it's like messaging, it's positioning, it's branding, um, like a lot of that stuff. But it's not just with the sales team, right? I'm talking to the customer success team quite frequently too, and the onboarding team and the support team, making sure that they have all the product documents and everything that they need and all the training when we do have new feature releases uh, or updates to specific products. Um, so it, it is more about the overall you know, go-to-market enablement. But as we're talking specifically about sales enablement, I think sales should own that because no one knows what sales needs better than sales. And no one can be an advocate for the sales reps themselves 
um, to be better producers than sales themselves. So I think it should be owned by sales, but it's obviously one of those things that's going to be very cross-functional, right? They might be coming to me and bringing me in when it comes to messaging. They might be coming to you and Jonathan um, when it comes to actually enabling around, uh, you know, data hygiene or systems and processes. Uh, They could be going to someone else for other things too. So I think they're the ones who actually manage, like they're the hub, but they have spokes out to all the different, uh, you know, departments and leaders within those departments. So that's why I say sales. I think in a perfect world, I would agree with that. But when you start talking enterprise, when you start talking these big, large siloed out companies, somebody from sales and sales enablement without access to that kind of senior leadership level is going to get ignored by people in product or by people in IT. So it it almost, you almost kind of have to have that leverage piece of it. And that's kind of where I see the importance of it not being in sales, but I could definitely see it both ways. I, also, I, I would also say sales generally tends to have the, the loudest voice at the table. And those <laughs> things where it's like squeakiest wheel gets the grease, you know? It's, it's, it's a good point. It, it sales is pretty good at, at being that squeaky wheel. I'm just saying, oh. I'm, I, I know I'm going to get some LinkedIn messages on that wow. one. <laughs> wow. Wow. We're going to not edit that out just so people can send you death threats. <laughs> by, the way, by the way, everybody, his email is brandon.redlinger at revenue.io. Send your hate his way. Do not ping me. Um, no, but, I'll have gated on my email. By yeah, way. Yeah. But you'll pay $3 to let him read Exactly. That. <laughs> uh, but I actually agree with Brandon for what it's worth. Um, yes. And there's a reason why that I think that's important, which you both missed, by the way. You didn't... What? Like you, you both said like valid reasons why it would exist under your umbrella. Enablement's responsible for ramping new hires and almost always, mm. right? And sales yeah. is often the most rapidly growing team. It, it, it typically is the most rapidly growing team. And ramping sales reps is going to be a fundamental piece of that job. Now, it's harder for them to focus on if they're not rolled into the sales team directly to understand how that's working and what's working in the sales process and not so they can train effectively. So... For that reason only, I'm going to give it to Brandon, but he didn't even get the right reason why. (laughs) I got many, many right reasons. It is a hollow victory. This game is rigged. Yeah. But I'm going to I'm going to give it that way. I'm going to agree with Brandon, which I know everybody listening is probably totally unexpected thought that I would agree with revenue. We operator. actually agree on something. Wow. I know. <laughs> Mark this day on your calendar. I'm the and I don't and I don't want enablement under me. So, you know, mm. like, that's, that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's better suited. But to your point, Brandon, I think it's really important that enablement, I think it exists under sales, but it's really important that it's a cross-functional role. I think it has to work super closely with revenue operations. I think it has to work super closely with product marketing, marketing in general, CS, all of the above. I think all of that is very, very true and they have to be empowered for it. I think it's sort of like a lockstep role with revenue operations in, in that in that regard. Um, so regardless of where they sit, how do you measure the effectiveness of sales enablement? And, and, and I have, I have thoughts and, and by the way, everybody listening, I'm going to move past the ones that are sort of like obvious and, and like typical ways to measure, you know, sales operation success or revenue operation success also include things like lead to op conversion rate, win rates, sales attainment, ramp time, right? Like those are pretty clear. Like if your ramp time is really slow and people aren't selling their first deal rapidly, like sales enablement needs to figure out how to ramp people better, right? Like that's a pretty quick way to, 
to measure the success there. I want to talk about a couple of other, what I would say, creative ways to, to measure success that I think are equally important, important to track across your entire revenue operation for product aligning enablement to product marketing, marketing in general, CS, and so forth. Um, you guys with me? I see glazed eyes. I saw glazed eyes. It's mostly mostly on Jonathan. Slightly. I still don't know what this hoodie you're wearing is. It's just throwing me off a little bit. Brandon, put your hood up real quick so everybody can see what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, you're right. It is kind of a small. <laughs> It is a small hood. You're, you're totally right. It's, <laughs> it's an aesthetic hood. Aside. Okay. You're going to share exactly. a video of that out to everybody just so they can see it. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry. Sorry, everybody. I'm back. We're back in it. Um, first creative idea, creative thing that I like to track for measuring the ability to ramp and train your sales team. Competitive win rate. And what I mean by that is it's win rate but just against competitors. And you can do competitor-specific, competitors as a whole, but be sure to measure win rate the right way. We did a whole segment on an episode about how to measure win rate. I will post in the comments what episode that was. I think it's like episode four. Um, win rate is a very fickle metric, and you have to have accurate data and train reps accordingly in order to get a proper win rate. But win rate against competitors is a super powerful metric for tracking sales enablement because... 84% of businesses say their market is more crowded than ever, and it's safe to assume your sellers are going to head-to-head then, all the time, the rivals, most of your deals, there's a rival involved, right? So the number of competitive deals you're winning, is, if it's going up, is a pretty good example that enablement is empowering your sales team to actually beat competitors, which is a huge piece of the, the sales enablement pass platform. If it's going lower and your competitors are edging you out, like obviously there's other reasons that could exist. It could be product differentiation. It could be other things. It also is likely that your enablement team is not focused on training against competitors. And added bonus to tracking this metric is that it actually forces you to make sure your sales team is tracking what competitors are on deals because then you can see who we're losing to and who we're winning against and you can use that with marketing and you use that across everything to make sure that you're targeting appropriately, right? I would also like to add, you could also look at the success of your sales engineers because if your sales engineers are not strong in those demo meetings, then that could also be working against them too. Totally, totally. I mean, I, I think it's, it, it, but it's super important to know, are we losing demos when we go against this competitor, competitor A versus competitor B versus competitor C. And you would look at, right? So let, let's let's segue into that. So say my win rate is bad. What do I do? What, what Where do I start? Win rate against competitors. Want to be specific because we're talking about win rate against competitors. I would, I would say first you got to analyze kind of their calls and figure out are they speaking to the strengths of your product versus their product well enough to be able to sell them in? Are they getting in front of them at the right time? Uh, those are two ones that would be very important. Oh, I love that. So you're talking about using like conversation analytics, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, conversation analytics to, to find out if your reps actually understand the key differentiators that they're fighting against when they're, they're battling competitor. You know why your product is better than competitor A's. Do your reps know that? And are they properly laying that groundwork on calls? Because if they're not, enablement hasn't done their job to to support that because that is their job right and partially the marketing team could get some blame on that too because they need to make sure they're warm totally brandon ideas totally yeah so the, i think there's a there's a few different routes that um my, my mind goes you know one is um i mean I, th I think i do think that is a very important point are we telling the right story right like i i don't 
I don't want to get into a feature comparison war with anyone. I think it's a losing battle, right? So like, it, am I enabling my team enough to tell a broader story, right? It's, it's about what do you believe in and um, how can we help you achieve that? Not, uh, you know, here's, here's a, a value proposition and then here's why we're better than competitor X. Whenever you're being compared directly to someone like that, um, I, I think it's a losing game. So rather than here's how we're better, it's, Here's how we're different. Let me tell you that story about why we are different and how we're different. Um, and, and then I, I do want to know, almost on the other side of that, are there specific like features that you know we, we don't have quite have feature parity with that is that are table stakes for our, our um, buyers, right? We could tell the best story, but there's this one feature that is an absolute must-have for a buyer uh, and we don't have it. I, I, I do kind of need to know that there's no telling a story around that, you know? Totally. Yep. Totally. So are they misrepresenting what we're offering and being able to identify that and fix it? Or missing the opportunity to show the value we add, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that's part of it. It's not even misrepresenting. It's, are we just missing the chance to represent period? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and so, so like sort of the, highlight what you guys sort of said, using conversation analytics to identify if your sales team actually understands the value we add and is selling that value in comparison to the competitor in a way that, you know, truly, truly helps us win that deal. And that's, again, if you're not, train on it, go to sales and hey, we need to train on this. On top of that, work with product marketing, better sales, better competitive specific content, super valuable thing. If we're losing the competitor X all the time and we look and we say, hey, great, like we have this one case study that talks about the other competitor, like that's not enough. Maybe we need more. Maybe we need better product marketing specific to that thing so we can show the value that we have. The third one that I would add on here, by the way, I think is super important. I think is also probably the one that's most frequently missed because I think those we've talked about, that's, you know, table stakes stuff to fix and like really good stuff to fix. Train on your competitors. And, and I mean specifically, train on their products. Like everybody, if we're running into competitor A all the time, my sales team needs to deeply understand competitor A's product and the value they're selling, plus the consistent problems that the people who use their product are facing. And that's super important because I can't help you solve the problem that you have with that competitor if I don't know what that problem is, right? And we need to uncover that and train the team on it. So it's actually... Like everything is focused on like our sales process, training on our sales process, training on our technology, training on that. Train on your competitors too. You need to know all of that, right? It's super important. Yeah. And maybe a little more than just having being armed with content. You've got to know what's on that piece of paper that you're sending so you can speak to it because it might be too late by the time you get the follow-up chance to send that content. Totally. And by the way, it's super important. This, this process of choosing, figuring out if you're losing to competitors in that process, it's very important when you identify a competitor to then have that information in Salesforce. So I can go run a report that says, here's all the times we ran against competitor A, and here's the problems that, they, that we identified in the sales process. And we can see 80% of the time, if competitor A is involved, it's because this problem is there, right? And we can start to market against that. We can start to do everything. We can train specific to that problem, which is going to help us increase that win rate. And, and a big piece of the, the competitive intelligence side these days is just making sure your, your content is up to date. Because we know these days in the SaaS space specifically, uh, people come out with new features and update features all the time. Products change so quickly. And if I have a battle card or a case study that's a year old, I might be giving my reps outdated information that now we look pretty bad 
uh, yeah. in that deal, right? And so they're like, yeah, this was from two years ago. I can't trust these guys. Trust is broken <laughs> automatically, right? right? Yeah. You know, just, they're just throwing, they're, what they're sending me isn't right. So like nothing, nothing, I, nothing they send me will I believe then, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and th- there are some great tools out there these days, like Crayon, that helps you with competitive intelligence. Like they're built specifically for CI. Yeah, totally. By the way, that 84% number I referenced like 10 minutes ago, straight from Crayon. They have a ton oh, of great content yeah. about this stuff. So, so Someone did their research before the podcast. I know, Look right? at that. First, first time ever. It wasn't yeah. either of you guys. I can tell that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, all right, Fair. moving on. Next, next sort of like creative... <laughs> creative way that I would measure success in my enablement team. And, and this one is sort of like A or B, depending on what your business looks like and your goals at the time. I would say ARPU trending or deal size trending is a really wonderful way to measure enablement success because a win is a win, right? If we're talking about win rates, that's great. But a win, a win is a win, but not all wins are equal. Because if I win a 10K deal, it's not football, where if I win the game, I win the game. And it goes as a, in the win column in, in, in my record. If I win a 10K deal or a 50K deal, the 50K deal is a much better win, right? And so ARPU, deal size trending, those things are very important. And your business might have goals towards deal size or ARPU or both. So I would use the one that's most relevant to your company's objectives. Um, if your average selling price is increasing, essentially is the thing, then it's a strong indicator that your sellers are getting better at demoing the full value of what you have to offer, which is a pretty good indicator that enablement is operating very, very well, right? If the average deal size or average selling price is decreasing, it's probably you're not enabling them. They're not demonstrating full value of your product, and therefore enablement needs to focus on that. So going there... What do you do if it's bad? What if my deal size trending is bad? And and we can talk about you know all the things you would look at, like is my marketing targeting the right person? Are we doing that? From the sales team standpoint, sales enablement, what would I do if that's bad? Well, I, I, I like ARPU trending a little bit better than deal size trending because I think there's so many people that are focused on deal size trending. And there's a lot of things that an organization is doing in general. So I, I almost have a harder time really connecting that specifically to to enablement. Yeah. Um, but the, the only time that I would say that I would actually use deal size trending is if I was at a company that only sold one product and had pretty standard pricing. Mm, right. Because right. then ARPU, ARPU is like less flexible in that scenario. So yeah, t- totally. Exactly. And, and I mean, like one, one of the things that I've looked at in the past for, for average revenue per user specifically is um, discounting. I, I, and this is a whole different, like, maybe podcasts that we could do later, but are, do you have, uh, you know, obviously a a deal desk in place and do you have um, guidelines for when and how people can offer discounts, but also at the same time, let's go back to conversation intelligence, listen to those calls and are reps like immediately giving them a price and then offering a discount. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a call um, buying software and the rep is like, it's it's ten thousand, but you know what? For you, I, I'll give you it for eight thousand. My like, dude, I, I didn't even ask. I didn't do anything. It's not the end of the month. If you, if you, you sign just, by the end of the month, if you sign by the end of the month, then yeah, then if, yeah, that out. that too, right? It's like yeah. you're it, you're not selling value there. By the it, way, I, I have that as my third third bullet point for answering this question: evaluate your discounting procedures and approvals. There, like, there you go. There you go. Yes, it's yes, super yes. important. It's it's definitely a huge impact on this. And if it's bad, then you're not training reps to sell value. You're training reps to sell price. There is a company that we work with. I won't call them out just because 
not a big deal, but they have one of the best strategies I've ever seen. So they will lock you in on your first year, give you 50, 60% discount. Every year it goes up a little bit. By the time you're, you're kind of at your 100% and not discounted anymore, you're locked into that product. You're so embedded into it. It's mm. it's a little bit of a shady tactic, but holy crap! I was crap, gonna say works. I don't know if I like that yeah. or not. It's I, smart. I it's it's I smart. Hate that. It's not. It's not smart. It's well, not smart at all. Kind of. <laughs> it's kind if of, your product is wrong, it's, it's just smart. a false pricing model. Because they're, they're they'll say their like starting price is then ten thousand dollars a month, but their real starting price is five thousand dollars a month. It's just shady i'd be i'd be if yeah. somebody gives me a 50 percent discount i'm asking for 70 like, <laughs> like, like, like oh we're willing to go that low like wh- why why are we going that low why can't we go lower right like that's that's insane yeah and it's a, it's a big old company too that's doing it god take it no that like the, the the moment you hint that we can negotiate i will negotiate the hell out of that deal right. and get a better yeah. deal and all of, and if you tell me like oh, i'll give you 50 percent off like Okay, like why were we ever talking about the first number then? Exactly, but, exactly. And, and secondly, like what's wrong with your product that you're willing to discount at 50%? Yeah, it's like, priced wrong in the first right. place and you as a rep don't believe in the product itself. Yeah, and Jonathan, mm-hmm. I know who the company is because I was a part of those negotiations. I know exactly. <laughs> I was now disgruntled during that entire process and I've demanded a lot of free stuff from them over the course of two years that we've been their customers. So um, I don't think it's a good pricing model. I don't recommend it. What else? What else would we do to solve that problem? Incentive. Okay. All right. I'll jump in then since you guys came ill prepared as always. <laughs> Incentive of multi product deals. Whatever. I'm just reading off your, 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 yeah, your multi, sheet multi product yeah. training, <laughs> value training, right? So, so if you're not showing the full value of your tech stack, train on showing the full value. That way you can increase deal size and do that from the start. By the way, better discovery training, also a huge plan to that because when you're doing discovery, you're actually mapping out in a lot of ways how big this deal can be. And if you work with them to do better discovery, to discover more problems that you can solve, that will increase your deal size. But if you fail to do that at the outset, it will be much harder to add those products or features or things in further on down the sales cycle without delaying everything or potentially losing, creating risk in a deal. And so better discovery will also help you increase initial deal size. Beyond that, incentives, incentives. Give your reps bonuses for multi-product deals. Give your reps bonuses for selling bigger deals, right? Like incentivize the actual behavior you're looking for. Don't just tell them and train them to do it, which yes, of course, do that. Incentivize them to do it. People, sales reps like money. I like money. You guys like money. Sales reps like money. Incentivize them to do it and they will do it. They will They will figure out a way if it's an extra $1,000 in their pocket to make that happen for you. Um, and of course, go look at who you're targeting, who your account's coming in. If you know you have uh, every tech deal is only $10,000, but every finance deal is $50,000, work with your marketing team to figure out better targeting so that way you can increase your deal size by getting the bigger deals in the door rather than those small deals. Also super important. Yeah, and and I think when you're saying incentivize reps, are you specifically saying build that into their comp or do a spiff? Because I I hate spiffs. I do not believe in spiffs. Now, screw spiffs. I, I think spiffs are fine for periods of time for, for yes. specific things. This is, one, this is one that I would build into a comp plan. Agreed. hundred yeah. percent. Okay, cool. Yeah. Like, like spiffs are things like, I mean, there's, there's good ways to do spiffs where it's like, Hey, we want a bunch of G2 reviews. Like let's spiff G2 reviews. Right. Like that, that, but you don't want to do that in perpetuity necessarily. You just want to do it for a short time frame to sprint for some reason. Right. But, uh, but I would, there's a time and a place for spiffs. I don't think this is that. I think people overuse spiffs in general, but uh, agreed, agreed. 
I mean, there's a commission software literally named Spiff, which I thought was quite yeah, ironic yeah. because Spiffs and commissions are sort of two different things. But whatever, yep. <laughs> uh, it's a cool product. But they named it. They named it after something they don't really do. Uh, but, yeah, that's but, always great. Uh, and it's a really cool product. I actually really enjoy it. But whatever, uh, I, I send. I'll send their CEO an email saying I'm confused. Um, <laughs> Jonathan, anything else you want to add before we slide forward? Um. Maybe the only other thing I would think of is like maybe making sure they're on point with objection handling, making sure Ooh. they're not just when somebody objects to something, they're not just like, okay, and then move on. Like you've got to, you've got to be really good about handling objections as a sales rep. Especially if those objections are related to like starting with a few seats rather than a bunch, because we want to like test it out, right? Like mm-hmm. diving, cause that like an objection like that, like, you know what? I want to try this with five reps instead of 50. That's built on something else. That's not just me wanting to do that. That's built on like fear it won't work or, mm-hmm. or like a review I got from somebody else. Like dig in, find out what's what's buried beneath that objection and then figure out how to handle it. So you don't get a five seat deal, you get a 50 seat deal. Yep. Yeah, no, I, 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 I love that one too because you can look at the, the objections that you're uh, seeing most but are losing to, right? And then enablement. Like this is this is all about what enablement is. How how do we actually uh, give our reps the tools they need to overcome that objection, right? Whether that is more training or you know a real time notification uh, in the moment so that they have the talk track that they need on the call rather than you know losing the deal and then having to go back and reflect, right? You're 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 preventing preventing that loss before it happens. Totally. Totally agree. All right, moving on to the next one. Next creative metric that I would use to track sales enablement success, sales cycle length. Seems pretty straightforward. I mean, everybody should be tracking this. If you're enabling your team and training them and helping them get better because that is the purpose of sales enablement and you're using conversation AI, you're doing a bunch of call coaching, you're, you're sitting in, you're doing all this stuff, you should be doing all of that, by the way. That's enablement is using call coaching, doing those things. little plug for our software. Um, sales cycle should decrease. If it's not decreasing, you're not doing well. Like that's that's the reality of this, right? Like, and and I get it. Like as you ramp, as you hire new reps, they're going to have longer sales cycles and that sort of thing. But as you get better at enablement, sales cycle will decrease. If it's not decreasing, you're not doing well doing it. Um, and I get it. Sales deals can move slow for lots of reasons. Not all of them are sales related, but a lot of times they are. So what do I do if my deal cycle keeps getting worse? Well, I I do think one one caveat to this is like. People who are really focusing on ABM and moving up market and selling bigger deals, their their deals uh, cycle will increase inevitably. Yeah, I would segment mm-hmm. out deal cycle always. Right? Okay, like, yeah, segment I would out. Always okay, look at deal go. cycle is it's a great, great great catch, but I would look at deal cycle for enterprise, deal cycle for commercial, deal cycle for SMB, like as separate buckets because they're going to be so much different. Like, right, exactly. I, I I always whenever people are like we've we've increased our deal size by you know. 2x and we've cut our sales cycle in half i'm always like no that, that no that, I, didn't, I, that didn't happen no that didn't happen. i know that you're didn't lying, happen. you're lying to me there's no yeah, way exactly. that happened. yeah like yeah it's it's true right but like and i can and i could totally increase my or decrease my deal cycle by like 80 percent if i just said hey we're only going to sell smb like great mm-hmm. like but what did that do to the rest of my business that's not a solution to this problem right exactly exactly so what are the solutions to this problem I mean, I think it's a lot of the things we've already talked about. Objection surfacing and handling, I think, is is a key one. I think um, urgency training. We've talked a lot about training, but like there is the ability to create urgency. And by the way, going back to what Brandon said earlier, 
Urgency isn't, I'll give you a $2,000 discount if you sign by the end of the month. Urgency is selling your product so well, selling the value of what you do, that they see it as a necessity. Yep. Then they have mm-hmm. urgency to come buy it right away. It is a necessity to them, so they have to get it. They have to have it. And that comes into urgency training, not discount to create urgency, right? Yeah, you have to get them out of that mindset of, oh, we can get by without your tool. Like, yeah. they need like, to be uh, thinking. It's not urgent for this quarter. Like, we probably turn it on next year. It's not going to have that big of an What they're saying when they say that is it's not going to have that big of an impact on my business. Mm-hmm. But, Which is why that, I think things like an ROI calculator can be very powerful, right? And, and a lot of times, like, urgency, yeah, it doesn't mean the at the end of the month this goes away. It's here's all the opportunity that you're losing by waiting to fix this problem, right? It's like your yeah. reps are ramping a lot slower and it's costing you this much in deals. Uh, so every day you, you wait, you're losing this much money. That will create yeah. more urgency than at the end of the month, this goes away. This discount goes right. away. It doesn't. It doesn't actually go away. Yeah, exactly. We all know it doesn't no. go away. You're still going to give me that discount the next month. Like, exactly. Sometimes I will purposefully wait till like the first yeah. day of the next month. Just to yeah. like, because that pisses me off. It's like, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm going to first, and you're still going to honor it. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm going to mess with um, you a little bit. Yeah, and I and you don't even. I always send like, uh, please send me the revised contract with the expect updated end date. I just assume they're going to send the same price. No, yeah, exactly, exactly. Send the same price always. <laughs> um, the other one that I would say to your point, like ROI calculator, is super important. Social proof, Social super proof, super yeah. important. Yeah. Right? If I'm saying mm-hmm. you're going to get this ROI. Let me tell you these three customers who got that ROI. Here's customers some that look like you. Yeah, here's some testimonials from them about how this impacted their business. They cannot live without it, and it fundamentally changed their business. It creates FOMO. You need this now, right? And even better, if you can set up some calls between the two, that works mm. wondrously. Yeah, referral call, like reference calls, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and then the last one that I would add in there is, and this one I think is a really important piece of sales enablement, is increasing time spent with clients. And the easiest way, like increasing selling time in general, right? And I think people sort of have gotten away from that in the pandemic by nature because we have so many internal meetings. Let's be honest. Everybody listening to this probably sits in way more internal meetings than they need to. And every time that a rep is in an internal meeting, they're not talking to somebody they're working to deal with. And if they are talking to them, they can identify objections earlier on. They can do these things that are going to help your deal cycle out. And also, are they understanding the company they're selling? Are they just trying to sell the product? Or are they actually getting in the weeds, understanding how that business they're selling to works? Because yeah. if you're if you're not understanding their pain, understanding how their processes then you're just trying to sell them something and they're going to see right through that. Totally. And and more specifically, how does that business make money? And Mm -hmm. how does that buyer make his money? Yeah, totally. Totally. No, I love it. Um, All right, last one. I know we're we're running up on time. Last one, and this one I think will be pretty quick. Don't create false urgency here, Jordan. (laughs) Alec is saying we have 12 minutes. Oh, that's right. We do have a timer on this one. Okay, you're right. You're right. So we have have 12 minutes remaining of the podcast. Everybody listening, we will probably not go that long. Last one that I think is super important, sales tech and process adoption. I mean, this is is the one that in my mind is so, like all of these are very closely tied to revenue operations. Like there's specific content you need to support fixing those metrics. There's specific things you need to identify that, that would help it for CS, et cetera. This one is directly tied to revenue operations, because we might buy some technology to help solve a problem, or we might implement a new process to help solve a problem that's going to help solve a problem across the whole business. 
But if sales isn't adopting it, they're not being enabled on that tech or process appropriately. And if it's bad, one thing to remember is, is uh, Brandon will know what this is. Jonathan, maybe maybe you will, maybe you won't. The Ebbing Isles Forgetting Curve. Are you guys familiar? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Does anyone you want to try to say what the Ebbing House Forgetting Curve is? Yeah, you you forget 89% of uh, the things that you learn in the first 30 days. Yeah, 89% of the things that you learn, you forget within 30 days of learning it. Mm-hmm. It's in, it's insane, right? It's it's crazy. So it's what makes enablement very hard, by the way. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Which is why it, enablement is important. So important, right? Because people forget everything. And in the same study, which is an ancient study at this point, but um, spaced repetition is essentially the only way to beat the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve. So if people aren't adopting tech and adopting process, you need to train them on it and then continually train them on it over a period of time, spaced repetition, so that you can beat the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve and people will retain what you've taught them and actually use the sales tech, follow the processes that are going to power the rest of your business. Yeah, exactly. So Ryan Valancourt, our our VP of sales, and I did a training on basically this. Um, And it's, yeah, it's it's about space repetition and uh, very deep, deliberate practice. Yeah, right. totally, totally. Jonathan, anything you want to add to this one? This one I knew would be quick and easy because it's really one solution, train more. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and I I think just... On top of that, make sure your enablement person is tech savvy because I've seen the opposite happen where they're not that tech savvy and none of the sales really, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, the sales rep really learned. That's a really good point. If you have a a sales enablement person who can't train on the sales tech or isn't process oriented, they're going to really struggle with this one, which Mm. is going to be a big problem. Yeah, Um, cool, awesome. Well, this week. On LinkedIn, it's time, and I'm turning it over this week because Brandon actually brought a question Tag for this week in. on LinkedIn. Tag dun, dun, dun. <laughs> now, let me take off my glasses and get close to the screen and squint because I'm Jordan. Oh, just kidding. Um, <laughs> put, put your hood up again. <laughs> <laughs> We're wasting valuable time. All right, let's go. <laughs> we, have, uh, we have, by my calculation, we have like nine minutes. Nine minutes. Okay, cool. Um, so it says... Um, I know you moved mops under RevOps, and I'd love to hear how that transition transition went. What worked, what didn't, and what advice would you give to a team that is in that process? So they moved, and just to be clear for everybody, the, we moved at Revenue IO, we moved marketing operations and all operations actually under revenue operations, which reports directly to the CEO and is its own standalone department. Um, and it sounds like somebody is asking they're doing the same thing, which is great. Copy us, please do. Yeah, or at least uh, thinking about it. And yeah. we have the added benefit for this question of Jonathan was the mops person who yep. moved into revenue <laughs> operations. So, Jonathan, how was that transition to being under me? Oh, for so you? good. So good. <laughs> <laughs> how much is he paying you to say that? <laughs> I, I think it's a great approach. I think there's a lot of things that... I've been able to benefit from, from being in revenue operations, being more closely aligned with Jordan and with Matt on the sales ops side. But it's not like my entire job just immediately changed once I moved over. I still do the same things I was doing as marketing operations. It's just now I'm more empowered to see across the entire business. And I I understand now the work that we're doing, how it's impacting sales, how it's impacting customer success, how it's impacting product. So it's been invaluable for me to be able to see how my work is 
kind of going across the business instead of just feeling very siloed into one department. Totally. And I think, I think like from my perspective, cause I think that's all true. And I've, I've seen, you know, like in your work, you're now considering not just, is this best for marketing? It's like, you understand the whole business. So you're thinking of how is this best for the business? How I'm doing this, right. Which, yeah. which just makes you better every day. Um, it, it also, from my perspective, has been awesome in that it's given us the latitude to get Jonathan more involved with other teams because Jonathan has a depth of knowledge that people in the sales team might not. Jonathan came and ran a training for the sales team Mm -hmm. on uh, campaigns in Salesforce and how they should use them in their prospecting that otherwise we probably would have not done because he got exposure to the fact that they didn't know that. And he came to me and said, hey, like we should show them this. And I thought, great. You should show them that. You're in revenue (laughs) operations now. You get to do that. Which, like, such a huge miss that we wouldn't have got if that wasn't the reality, right? So it took the mops, the value that Jonathan's providing, which is still in, in some ways, you know, the same value. He's doing a lot of the same work, but it expanded it across the other teams, which which has been really helpful. And that's true of actually all the ops functions. It's Matt, like our formerly sort of sales ops guy, he spent like four hours say helping our CMO with a project. Like that's awesome because like those skill sets that each person has, it allows you to use the skill set that you have instead of just trying to support the function that you're in. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's been awesome. Building relationships with sales reps too, as somebody who works in the marketing operations space is so important and it's so hard to do if you're just in marketing. It, it just opened the doors up that uh, everybody was more receptive. We were back and forth a lot more. It, it just seemed like it, everything just opened wide open. The, uh, the second part of this question, what advice would you give for someone who is in a, a little bit of, I, I do know this guy pretty personally, um, not everyone is bought in on this, right? So with us, it, it was really easy because the entire organization believes this mm-hmm. um, and there was, there's was no pushback, right? Um, but I do know in his situation, not everyone is completely uh, bought in. The, the right people are, right? The CEO is, but mm-hmm. not everyone else, not the other, all the other stakeholders. Any advice? I'd like to know why they have objections because <laughs> I, I think bring them on the podcast. That, no, that sounds I, I like think, control. That sounds like yeah. they just want control of that resource. I think that's a good thing. By the way, um, we obviously had a mandate here to do this, right? Like, but we did it over a long period of time. We 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 shifted very slowly, and and Jonathan, we just officially made the shift three or four months ago now, um, but. We we worked towards being one ops team for the course of a year before that. And part of that, from my standpoint, as the person who was leading the charge to make this happen, with, with Howard, our CEO, obviously wanted this to happen as well, was it was it was impetus that I go build relationships with the CMO, go build relationships with the VP of sales, and, and go build, build relationships with the heads of CS and so on and so forth, so that when their ops person comes under my umbrella, they don't feel like they're losing a resource, they feel like they know that they'll be taken care of because I'll be leading that team and therefore I'll make sure that actually they're better resourced in some regards than they were before. And that, and that took us a long time to build that trust across those leaders because um, that, that hesitancy, had we not taken our time and shown that we could do this over the course of a year. And I mean, like Jonathan was in marketing, but we met every day for a year, right? Had we not taken our time and done that, it would have been hard. And I would have understood that there would have been hesitancy from, you know, a CMO or a CSO to, to do so. But when we went to do it, we'd been basically operating like that for a year already. And so yeah. when, when, when I talked to like William, I was like, hey, by the way, like, how do you feel about Jonathan moving over to mark or revenue operations? He's like, 
yeah, that makes total sense. Like, yeah, like, if you guys have been doing that anyways, right? Like, yeah, of course. That means you don't have just, if Jonathan slammed with something, you have Matt, you have me, you have other people that can now jump over and help you too, right? You're not just siloed off. So it's, it's taking your time to get the other leaders to see that this isn't losing a resource. It's gaining a team as a resource. Mm, I love that. I love that. And, and the other, so I'm in marketing, obviously. And um, now that Jonathan's not on my team anymore. It's amazing. I love it. No, I'm just kidding. Like, <laughs> there's, there's really no difference, right? Like right. he still comes to our standups and our meetings and participates as much as he always did. Right. So yeah. it's not like, Oh damn, like we, we lost up you know, our marketing operations yeah. person now. Like he, but what, he brings what more. Gained, right. What you, what you gained is now Jonathan comes to that meeting and you guys come up with a project and idea. He brings it back to the RevOps team and you got a handful of people who are not helping make that yeah, happen exactly. rather than just one person. That's yeah. a huge value add for your business, right? The, the last piece I would say is that we gain as a business because I had it happen yesterday. A sales rep pinged me and they were like, Hey, I've, you know, I've been working on this thing. Jonathan's helping me out with it. And I was like, Holy shit. Like a sales rep went out and asked, like, asked Jonathan for this. Like that never <laughs> would have happened. And they, they were no. building like a campaigns related dashboard to show to a customer. I was like, this is exactly what we want to happen. We have the guy who's an expert in marketing, helping a seller who's selling a deal related back. Like you would miss that. And that would mm. be terrible. And by the way, he gave me great feedback, Jonathan. He loved working with you. So that's awesome. Nice. Um, <laughs> we are basically at time. We I think are. that answered the question anyways. Thank you, Brandon, for bringing it this week. Everybody listening, thank you. Follow us all on LinkedIn. Follow the podcast on LinkedIn. If you got this far, please rate us five stars. Give us a review. And if you want your question to be featured in the This Week on LinkedIn, please send it to me, jordan.henderson at revenue.io. By the way, Mad Perks, if you, you can message me on LinkedIn, you can send it to me, but if you record the audio and send me the audio, we're more likely to choose you because then I will play the audio exactly. and we will spice it into the episode and you'll get a feature spot on the RevOps Ooh. podcast. What more, what more could somebody want, right? Nothing. What, what more could we want <laughs> than that? But thank you guys. It's been an awesome episode and everybody listening, we will see you next week. See you next week. See you guys.